Alright, as we get ready for the Word of God this morning, I want to thank you all for being here today. You guys are the faithful ones. It's a holiday weekend. I could have been on vacation too. In fact, I am technically on vacation. But I drove all the way back here to bring you this exciting word. So you better... Yes. So, I don't want no dry faces or any of that. I want you to help me preach this morning. Can you do that? All right. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 through 5. And then we'll finish with verse 13. And the word of God says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long? Shout, how long? long. All right. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, how long? All right. Important question. The Lord said to Samuel, How long? Will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. I don't know why that word heifer is funny to you guys. (laughs) Lord, help us, Jesus. We need help this morning. (laughs) You guys are crazy. All right. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you should do. And you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. I love what God said here in verse 3. I will show you what to do. How many need that this morning? Well, Samuel did what the Lord said. He went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Go to verse 13 this morning. In verse 13, And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. From that day forward, Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you bless this word and thank you for this weekend, Lord, this Sunday service. Father, we need you. We need your voice, your spirit, your guidance. We've come here to worship. We've come here to fellowship. We've come here, Lord, to hear your word. So anoint this word, Father, and use me to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. As we go into this service today, to this message. God asked a profound question that grabbed my attention as I was reading this this week. He said, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him? Notice what God said. I have rejected him. Rejection is hard, isn't it? But what is it when God rejects it? See, Samuel, 
He loved Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. Israel wanted a king. And when Samuel took one look at Saul, the Bible says that Saul was tall, he was handsome, he was strong, he was a great leader, he looked the part, but he did not act the part because even though he looked it on the outside because he was tall and strong and influential and rich, on the inside, Saul's heart turned away from God. So on the outside, he might have looked great, but on the inside, he was not so great. But Samuel had a strong bond with Saul. They had a strong friendship. And Samuel had these great expectations for Saul. He really thought that Saul was going to be the great leader that Israel needed. He thought that Saul was going to be the king forever. He thought that Saul was the one that God was going to use to save Israel, to rescue and, and, and protect Israel. He really thought and had all his hopes on Saul. But Saul would disobey. Saul would reject God. The Bible said Saul would rebel against the Lord. And as a result, God said, I cannot use Saul anymore. I cannot use someone that's going to reject me. I'm not going to use someone that wants to rebel against me. I'm not going to use someone that's going to disobey me. And I'm not going to use someone who clearly does not want to follow me. So God rejected Saul and Samuel could not accept that. The Bible says that Samuel was so heartbroken that he would mourn. Now, there was nothing wrong with mourning. In fact, when God asked, how long will you mourn? The mourning wasn't bad. God had instituted a time of mourning. That time was one month. So if you were going through a hard time, if you had a loss in your family or something bad was happening, God said, you are allowed to mourn. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be discouraged because we're human. Amen. We have to stop thinking as Christians. We always have to be strong. We always have to be happy. We always have to be so perky and everything's great and positive. No, God understands that we're human. God understands that life gets hard. God understands that you're going to suffer. God understands that you're going to go through some downtime. And God says, I want you to mourn for one month. But after this one month, I want you to get yourself up and move forward because I'm not done yet. So God understands mourning. And Saul was rejected and Samuel was mourning. But here's the problem. Samuel was mourning a little too long. Time had expired already. And when God was expecting Samuel to get up, he wouldn't. When God was expecting Samuel to be strong again, he wasn't. In fact, the Bible says that Samuel mourned for so long that God had to intervene and ask him, how long are you going to be this way? You see, God understands mourning. And God understands sadness. God understands depression. He understands discouragement. But what God doesn't understand is how a believer can be in it so long. How a person can stay in that position for so long. And when God expected Samuel to get up, he wouldn't. And God said, Samuel, how long? 
long are you going to stay down over what happened? How long are you going to stay down over the past? How long are you going to stay down over what someone did to you? How long are you going to stay down when your plans fail? When rejection takes place? You see, when I was reading this passage, it was hard for me to grasp that the Bible actually said God rejected Saul. Rejection is hard, amen? Rejection is painful. You might have been rejected by a relationship you wanted really bad, and he or she said no. That was my experience in kindergarten. Her name was Janet. She was blonde and blue-eyed. She was the only white girl in my school, and I wanted her. And I took the time to write the best I could in kindergarten. Do you like me? Yes or no? Remember those little check boxes? I was such a loser. She didn't check any of them. She just crumbled up the paper and threw it in my face. And I said, you could have at least said no, girl. Come on. But that's rejection. It was so hard. I still remember it. And I'm 39 now. 38. 39. Oh, God, whatever. All right. Come on, anyone have that experience before? Am I the only one? Come on, don't No, I'm not a loser, Pastor. I'm not a loser. I get everything I want. It's hard when you apply for a job and you think you have what it takes and you have the right qualifications and then they said, sorry, you're not the one. It's hard when you apply for a loan and they laugh and reject you. It's hard when you're rejected by a spouse that you just want them to love you. It's hard when there's rejection amongst parents that should have raised you better and should have been there for you. It's hard when a friend rejects you. It's hard. But what about when the rejection comes from God? We say, oh, God doesn't reject us. He's love. He's patient. Listen to me. The Bible says God rejected Saul. What do you do when God does the rejecting? When you have your plans, but God says no. When you have your expectations, but God says no. And you have your desires, but God says no. You're going to have to understand, church, that God will reject your plans. He will reject your desires. He will reject your expectations. And the Bible says, as a result, the horn was empty that, uh, that carried the oil that Samuel had. And this is what really spoke to me this morning. Can we be honest today? Samuel's horn was empty because he had poured all the oil, the anointing oil on Saul. Let me ask you an honest to God question. I want, today I believe the real people are here. It's a holiday weekend. You guys are the real people in the church. All right? Have you ever 
poured yourself into something only to have it fail. That's hard. Have you ever poured yourself into something expecting it was going to work, but it didn't? Have you ever poured your time into something? Have you ever poured your love into something? Your money into something? Your energy into something? Your effort into something? See, Samuel poured the oil all onto Saul and God rejected it. So when I read that, I said, my goodness, I understand what God is saying here. Sometimes we pour ourselves into something that God says no. And when you pour yourself into something that God rejects, you're only left empty. And it's not going to work. And it doesn't matter how much you pour into it. If God rejects it, it's going to leave you empty. It's not going to work. But here we have Samuel that's pouring everything into Saul, but it's not working. So now Samuel is frustrated. Samuel is disappointed. And Samuel is even angry. Because the Bible says now Samuel's horn was empty. You say, well, Pastor, what does that mean? You see, as a prophet, they would carry this horn, a literal horn, filled with oil inside. And the horn was always symbolic of power. And the oil was a symbolism of the Holy Spirit, so they would carry this horn filled with oil to represent the power and the anointing of God. But see, now the horn is empty. And that oil was costly. That oil was precious. And he poured it all into Saul, and Saul rebelled. Samuel never expected Saul to rebel and disobey against God. Samuel never thought that Saul would be rejected by God. So when you pour yourself into something, and God rejects it, you're left frustrated, you're left confused, you're left angry, and you want answers because you're telling God, God, I poured what was precious into this. I poured myself into this. I poured everything into this. And God, it disappointed me. God, it left me empty. It left me dry. And there's a lot of people today that are dealing with this frustration because you poured yourself into something that has left you empty and dry. And you feel like it's a waste. And you're asking yourself, did I waste my time? Did I waste my life? Did I waste my young years on this person, on this thing, on this desire that God rejected? It's hard when you pour yourself into something and God rejects it. And that's going to be our story in life. That's what happens when you're a pastor. I talk to a lot of pastors, and it feels like lately our horns are empty and dry. We're powerless. Empty. You say, well, why? Isn't pastoring fun? Isn't ministry an honor? Ministry sounds like misery. Because we pour ourselves, as a pastor, for 13 years, I pour myself into a person. Not you. I pour myself into a person that comes to me and says, Pastor, I need help with this. 
All right, let's meet together. Let's go through counseling. Let's go through the scriptures. And I, and I counsel them and I help them and I pour my time, my knowledge, my wisdom from God and the Bible. We pour and pour and pour. And then that person leaves the church. And you feel, and you know what, honest, I'm going to be honest today because it's holiday week and I can be honest. I said, man, what a waste. You pour yourself into a ministry and nothing. And the devil lies to you. Because as you're wasting your time. Samuel must have felt like it was a waste of oil to pour it into Saul, who God rejected. And sometimes you're going to pour your love into a relationship that God says she's not the one. Parents are going to pour their love and devotion into a child that when that child turns 18, they're gone. And it's almost like you never existed. You're going to pour your faith and prayer to something and God's going to say no. You're going to pour yourself into something only to be disappointed, to be left empty. But worst of all, to feel like it was a waste. And the devil has a way of telling you, you've wasted your time. You've wasted your best years. You've wasted everything. It's hopeless. It's wasteful. It's a waste. God is not going to change it. God's not going to do anything. It's a waste. It's hopeless. It's your fault. It's never going to change. It's a waste to come to church. It's a waste to pray for that person. It's a waste to try to change. It's a waste to apply. It's a waste to try to get better. It's a waste. Don't do it. You're wasting your time. That's how the devil speaks to you. But there's something interesting about God. It's found in John chapter 6, verse 12. And everyone knows about this miracle, but there's another miracle within the miracle that's hidden that we don't see. And it's in the story of the multiplication of loaves and bread. The bread and fish. And if you're not familiar with this, there were 5,000 men, close to fifteen or 20,000 people, And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, feed them. They're thinking, how are we going to do that? The Lord gets a basket from a child. It has five pieces of bread and two fish. And he gives thanks to God. God multiplies it. Twenty plus thousand people are fed. Not not only fed, they're full and they're satisfied. And everyone looks at this and says, what a miracle. And it is a miracle. And we say God provides because God does provide. And we say this was impossible and it was impossible. And this is an amazing miracle of multiplication. You guys got it? But you miss another miracle. And it's a miracle that is so powerful that I don't want you to miss it anymore. It says when they had all, they had enough to eat. They had enough to eat. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Now let's pause there for a second. God turns to his disciples 
They're happy, they're full, they're satisfied. Everyone's full and satisfied. Everyone's in a good mood. No one's angry. Everyone said, man, God delivered. God multiplied. That was awesome. They're all encouraged. They say, man, can you believe we only had five pieces of bread and two fish and God multiplied it? And wow, that was amazing. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, guys, I want you to do something. Now, oh, anything, Jesus. You, you want to multiply more? What do you want? He says, go around. And gather up the pieces that are left over. Now that word piece in the Greek literally means fragments or scraps. It's all the pieces that everyone threw away. It's all the pieces that everyone says is garbage. It's all the pieces that no one was interested in taking home. And God tells the disciples, he says, hey, will you go around and gather up the scraps? I'm sure you're the disciples you are thinking, why do you want the scraps? Why do you want to keep the way? Why, God? That makes no sense. That's gross, God. Why are we going to go around and say, hey, you done with that fish bones? Hey, you're done with that crumb? Hey, let me have that and gather it up. But the disciples gathered up everything and here's the miracle. You guys ready for this miracle? The Bible says when they were all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be what? Wasted. And the disciples did it. And here's the miracle. When they all gathered the scraps, there was 12 baskets full. And you're thinking, why would God do that? What's the lesson in this story? God was teaching the disciples what we need to learn today. Jesus said, let nothing be what? Wasted. He's letting the disciples know what we need to know as a church. That with God, nothing has been a waste in your life. Nothing has been wasted in your life. Well, Pastor, what about those years I rebelled against God and I was out there in the street? Not a waste. Well, what about those years I spent with that person and we never got married? Not a waste. What about all those times? Not a waste. Help me preach and turn to your neighbor and say, not a waste. And here's the amazing miracle. The disciples looked at all the fragments and they said, wow, what a waste. This is novel. No, what's, the, what's this good for? Don't we treat our life like that sometimes? Don't we look at our past sometimes and say, man, that was hopeless. That was useless. Why did God even do that? Why did God allow that? What a waste of my childhood. What a waste of my good old years. What a waste of my golden years. What a waste of my college years. What a waste. But God said with me, Nothing is wasted. I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care the experience of your life. With God, nothing is wasted. And the disciples looked at those fragments and those pieces and those scraps and in their eyes it looked like a waste. But when God was done and they got it all together, it filled 12 baskets full because God is letting them know it is not a waste. Because when I get done and I work everything together, you're going to see what comes out of it. That's why they had 12 baskets full 
of bread and fish out of things they thought were worthless. I wonder this beautiful 4th of July weekend. How many things in your life are you saying it's a waste? Waste of my time. Waste of my energy. A waste of my money. Do you not understand, church, that Samuel must have thought, I wasted all these years on Saul? And Saul just turned his back on me and God? I wasted this precious oil on someone that didn't even care. And that might be your story today. You're saying, Pastor, I wasted my years, my time, my money, my love, my effort, what was precious to me on something or someone that didn't appreciate. But church, just remember, if there's anything I want you to remember, if you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, hurry up. There's still time to go to the beach. There's still time for fireworks. i got to listen. If there's anything, because I could be in the keys right now, but I'm here, so listen. There's anything I want you to learn today. There's nothing in your life is wasted. The devil will lie to you. You don't think the devil turns to me and says, 13 years, David, what a waste. But I look at these 13 years and I say, no, those were fragments that God's putting together for something amazing. Come on. Not a waste. So God says in verse 1, he says, how long will you mourn? How long? How long are you going to be discouraged, Samuel? How long are you going to mope around about the past? How long are you going to be depressed about what didn't work out? How long, Samuel, will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected you? Could you handle, church, the Lord's rejection? I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. But I love what he says here. Fill your horn with oil. And go. And go. Say that with me. And go. There is a time to mourn, but there is a time to go and move on. And God says, it's okay to mourn. Be sad. Yeah, sad. But if you don't get up and go, when I get up and go, you're going to miss what I have for you. So many people are missing on greater things that God has because you are stuck on Saul. You're stuck in the past. You're stuck on what didn't work out. You're stuck on what didn't work and what failed you. And God says, don't you know that that period is over? You got to go. You need to move on. Do you know how many people I meet in council that can't move on and go? And if you can't go, you can't expect God to bring you what's new. Get up and go and move on. And I love what he says next. I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have what? I have what? Provided. You see, what God is telling Samuel is while you're here moping around, mourning, 
stuck in the past, feeling rejected, hurt. Well, you're stuck in the past, discouraged and sad. I'm providing something greater. I'm providing something better. And his name is David. And through that David will come Jesus Christ. And see, Saul, I have to reject Saul to bring you something better, Jesus. I I have to close this chapter in your life because I have something next that's greater. And I have to reject this so you would accept that. But it's hard to accept the good things of God because you can't reject the past. You can't move on. You can't go. But God says, I'm providing something greater. And I wonder today, while you're stuck on your past, if God has moved on already, why haven't you? And God is here preparing. That word provided literally in the Hebrew means to provide and to prepare something. The idea of that word provision is setting up a table, which is interesting to me, because imagine if God says, I have prepared a table for you. I have prepared something wonderful for you. But if you stay stuck there, you'll never be here. So he said, Samuel, how long? Because Samuel, I'm ready to go. And I'm ready to take you to the house of Jesse where you're going to meet a man named David and that David's going to become king and that David's going to become a warrior and that David's going to make mistakes and fall in sin and sleep with a woman named Bathsheba but they're going to have another son and that son's going to have another son and that great, great son is going to be Joseph who's going to be the father of Jesus, our savior. You see, so, so all of these fragments in your life all of these things that you call a waste, all of these things that you call rejection, God's saying, I'm actually bringing it all together to bring something amazing, and His name is Jesus. So you may not always understand what God is doing and why God has rejected it, but see, let this be a reminder that with God, nothing is wasted. That's why He turns to Samuel and says, fill up, your oil again, fill up your horn again, and go. So he goes. And when he gets to the house of Jesse, he sees his older brother, Eliab, who's tall, dark, and handsome. He looks at Iliad and says, oh, for sure he's the one. Look at him. Why did he say that? Because Iliad reminded Samuel of Saul. It's interesting how some people could say, oh yeah, I moved on, I'm over that. But inside you're not. Because you still date the same type of person that rejected you. Then you're talking, I can't find a good man. I don't know why. Well, because you keep dating the same type. 
That's another sermon, ladies. I'll preach for you one day. But he looks at Eliab and he gets all excited. He's the one. And God says, not him. And Samuel must have thought, God, again? You got me excited for nothing? You're going to reject it again? Not him. Okay. He goes down to another brother. Not him. He goes down to another brother. Not him. Okay, God, what about him? Not him. What about him? Not him. Okay, God, this is the last brother. It has to be this one. And God said, not him. Seven times. So seven times he's been rejected. Seven times it's failed. Seven times he was about to pour his oil into it. And God says, no. Can you trust when God says, no? And Samuel must have gotten smart with God. He goes, well, I don't know why you led me here. There's no more brothers left. Just ask. Why would I ask? They're all standing here. Just ask because you have not because you what? You ask not. Okay, fine. Is there another one here? And Jesse says, yeah. What? Yeah, there's one more. It's David. David was redheaded and most people thought that he came out of an affair that Jesse had. Because the Bible says, David wrote in Psalms, I was born from iniquity. And that's why his father didn't even thought, didn't even think to present him because he was a result of sin. In other words, get this, this is good preaching now. In Jesse's eyes, David was a scrap. David was a waste of a son. David, I feel this now, David was a waste. You don't, and then you don't want him. You want the red-headed stepchild. You want the failure. You want the, no, he was out of, no, we're not, we're just, and you know why he wasn't there? Because Jesse was ashamed and said, let's just keep him hidden. But God was letting Jesse know, I know all things. And you, and then, yeah, go get that. And then this is where it gets excited. Because all the brothers and the fathers were saying, oh, you don't want him. He's scrap. He's a waste. And David just gets called. Hey, David, come into the house. Come here, boy. Okay. He comes in with his little harp and slingshot. What is it? I'm worshiping. Practicing my slingshots. Come here. This guy wants to see you. And all the brothers are there. <laughs> what a waste of time. He's never going to pick David. What a waste. Hurry up so he can get back to the field. This is a waste. What a, this guy's a scrap. And God says, that one. And Samuel said, the redhead? Are you sure it's not Eliab? Are you sure it's not the other six? Give me the scrap. Give me the waste. Give me the one that everyone thinks is never going to amount to anything. Because when I'm done, like the baskets, I'm going to work it together. You're going to see something amazing come out of this boy. 
And David and Samuel pours the oil in upon David. And David, years later, would become king after God's own heart. And David, and through his lineage, would come Jesus. Out of all that rejection came the greatest gift of all, Jesus. But you have to be willing to trust the rejection of God. You have to be willing when God says no. You have to be willing to allow God to let something fail and fall apart so that you can see that what looks like scraps in your eyes, what looks like a waste in the hands of God when he works it together is going to satisfy you in ways you never imagined. So I want to close. Let's, let's look at Revelations 3, 7 through 8. Let's read this for a second. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, these things say, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens, no one can shut. God's using the analogy of keys and a door. He says, whatever doors I open, no one can shut. And shuts, and no one opens. And everyone gets all excited when we preach about open doors. And we say, oh, God's going to open doors at opportunity. Amen, open doors. But here's the truth. God puts open doors and he says closed doors. And both of them are equally a blessing. You may not see it this way, but when God opens a door, that's great. But when God closes a door, that is also just as great because God might have spared you from trouble. He might have spared you from something you weren't ready for. And God says, you need to trust me when I open doors and I close them. When I reject something, you got to trust me. When I open a door, you need to trust me. So Samuel teaches us that nothing is a waste. Because God, the Bible says, He holds the keys. Which is a reminder that God is in control and in power over your life. So don't let the devil tell you anymore. You're a waste. Let's all stand to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I pray for all these people here today, Lord. I've come this holiday weekend. And they feel like they've poured themselves into something. They've poured their love into someone. They've poured their expectations into a dream. And Lord, you have rejected it. And it's hard to understand why. But Father, I pray like Samuel, you would give us the strength not to give up when we feel empty. And like what we've done is a waste. And help us to accept your rejection, knowing that it is only working something for our greater good. And Father, when that devil tells us it is a waste of our life and our time, it is a waste, let us remind that same devil that it might look like a waste, it might look like pieces of scraps and fragments, but in the hands of the Lord, he can work a miracle and it will satisfy and it will bless and God can use it. So in Jesus' name, receive this prayer today, 
Lord Jesus, I will accept what you reject. And whatever I feel is a waste in the hands that you have, it can work a mighty miracle. So if you're bold enough right now, just say this to the Lord. Lord, I don't understand it. And tell the Lord what you don't understand. What didn't work out? What hasn't worked out? What failed you? And just say, Lord, you hold the keys. Open what needs to be opened. Close what needs to stay shut. And if I'm in that hallway where no doors are open, no doors are closing, if you're in the hallway, help me to be patient. In Jesus' name. Come on, give God a huge shout of praise today. Amen. Now, come on, you guys can do better than that. Come on, give God some praise. Amen.